We're going to be in Ecclesiastes tonight, so if you want to get your Bibles and open up uh, to the book of Ecclesiastes, that's where we'll be studying from. We've been looking at Ecclesiastes uh, just to kind of take a break from those more challenging kind of books. This is more of a, a fun book, an interesting book. It's full of uh, insights and wisdoms that are very practical for us all, and as we've been studying it, I hope that you've been gleaning a lot from it. Uh, at some point in life, we all start becoming philosophical and thinking about some of the deeper things. We start asking ourselves questions, you know, why am I here? What is the point of being here? What's the point of my life? Uh, and sometimes those questions do us a lot of good and, and help us to reevaluate the things that we're doing and why we're doing them. And maybe at that point, we start to realize we've been wasting a lot of time. You know, we've been pursuing things that have not really benefited us or, or are not really in line with who we want to be and where we want to go. Uh, and so in those times, we start to reevaluate things and we start to, to shift things and plan things so that uh, we can make a, a, maybe a career shift or maybe we can, um, you know, have different relationships or something along those lines that will allow us to uh, find a greater state of being, a happier state of being. And ultimately, that is what Solomon is all about throughout this book. Uh, he's all about seeking and, and finding the answer to life's big questions. What's the point? Why am I here? What, what am I doing here? And, and what can I do that will give me value and give me a life that is worth living? And, and as we know the story, if, if Solomon is the one who's writing this book, that's kind of something that I just glossed over earlier in our study, but uh, it may be that Solomon is not the one who, who wrote this book and that someone else wrote it. But if Solomon is the one who wrote this book, uh, here's a man who has asked God at an early age to fill him with wisdom. And from God, he has received uh, a huge amount of wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And, and not only that, but riches and power and, and glory beyond the, our wildest dreams. And so he's, he's got all this wisdom at a young age, and he's trying to figure out and understand life's biggest questions. And as we've been studying through Ecclesiastes chapters what, 1 and 2, we've seen his answer is there's nothing. There's no joy or peace on the other side of the mountain. Remember, we, we talked about that last time. That's what he's been looking for, and he's not found it. There's, there's vanity. Everything that he's pursued, he has, he has pointed to the idea of vanity. Uh, in, earlier in chapter 2, we saw him uh, look for value in things like pleasure and success and riches. And he, he tried to find some value in all those things, and he came up empty-handed. He said they're not, they're not that useful. Instead, the best thing that a man has is to enjoy the journey of whatever the, the, the thing is that he's trying to do, whatever he's trying to accomplish, whatever the toil, whatever the effort, whatever the work, to enjoy the work and then enjoy the fruits of the labor, but the outcome is not going to give him a sense of finality and totality and satisfaction that will last forever. And so he's kind of given up on that, that idea that that would even be a possibility. Uh, tonight, we're going to look at Solomon Consider something that uh, is really deeply at the heart of who he is. We, we, we remember him asking God for wisdom. We know he values wisdom. Wisdom is something that he sees as uh, the greatest thing that you could possibly attain or acquire. 
in life. And as we think about wisdom, maybe we also are inclined to believe that wisdom is really where life is. That's, that's how you find the joy and the satisfaction that lasts forever. We need wisdom. And we kind of see in this that Solomon kind of has a, a moment where he questions everything. He spent his whole life thinking wisdom's where it's at. And he used wisdom in trying to come up with all this stuff. And now he, he's going to kind of come to an understanding that wisdom's not even going to give me what it is that I'm looking for. Let's start reading in verse 12 of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It says, So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Notice as he's, as he's contemplating life, he comes to the point where he, he wants to compare and think about wisdom. And, and he, he compares it to madness and folly. Now, madness is just doing things that are ridiculous. I mean, that's just doing things that nobody does because that's just, that's going to be dangerous or that's going to be something that, that uh, could be perceived the wrong way and, and end up in a weird situation. So it's something that, that nobody really wants to do. And he said, I'm going to even pursue that. I'm going to pursue the abnormal, unusual things. But folly is foolishness. It's things that everybody knows is dumb and, and nobody should ever do. He said, I'm going to do that and then I'm going to do wisdom and I'm going to compare them all. And I'm going to try to come up with an understanding about wisdom and, and see whether wisdom is where life is at. And what he found, of course, was life without wisdom is difficult. It's like walking in the dark. It's hard to, to function without wisdom. Wisdom is a good thing. There's value in wisdom. And, and as we go throughout this book, he's going to bring up that wisdom is great. Wisdom does give us tremendous value. And we want our children to be trained in understanding wisdom because wisdom is what will help them to succeed in life and, and live the best life. Wisdom is fantastic. As you move through the book, you'll notice uh, different verses that talk to the value of wisdom. If you go to chapter 7, verse 11, it says, Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Has it. Consider the work of God, who can make straight what God, what he has made crooked. Notice, there's a sense in which wisdom provides you with protection and it preserves your life like money does. It, it gives you some barrier against the, the evils of the world, and it provides some level of protection. It's a, it's, a, it's a good thing. It's a valuable thing to have, he says, with an inheritance, with money. You know, he's got a lot of money, so having wisdom and money, that's like the, the perfect combo to live the longest life that you can live and protect yourself from, from death. And then you go to verse 19. He says, Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than 10 rulers who were in a city. Notice wisdom is valuable. It gives someone strength. 
so that they can they can accomplish much and they can conquer their enemies and, and things of that nature. It gives them more strength than ten rulers. So wisdom is extremely valuable. We've all heard that terminology, right? Work smart, not hard. We know that, uh, and and we understand that that if you if you work smart, then it's a lot easier. You don't have to work nearly as hard. You're you're way stronger than somebody who's over there working really hard and doing something that they don't even have. They don't they don't even need to do. They just do it because they don't know any better. Uh, so wisdom is really good. It's really valuable. You go to chapter eight, verse one. It says, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine. And the hardness of his face is changed. So wisdom, it says, makes your face shine. It's a picture that when people look at you and you have wisdom, they see the goodness that, that you have. They see the beauty of the wisdom that's inside of you. And it, it gives you a sense of favor among those around you. Later on, he'll actually say the, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. So by speaking words of wisdom, you are winning favor with those around you and you're gaining much by having wisdom. And then in chapter 9, verse 17, he says, The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But, but one sinner destroys much good. See how valuable wisdom is? It's, it's better than weapons of war, he says, to have wisdom. Well, yeah, wisdom, you can avoid a war. <laughs> you know, you don't need to have a war. And that's what Solomon found as he was the king of, of Israel, is that there's no war. He's able to make peace using his wisdom. So wisdom has all of these wonderful benefits as you look through the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you were to choose the life of foolishness, you would not have protection. You would be vulnerable to attacks. If you choose the life of foolishness, you're going to be weaker. You're going to be wasting your, your strength and your life doing things that don't really matter. You're going to look like a fool in front of everybody. It says uh, that the foolish person walks and you can just tell that he's a fool by the way he walks. Uh, it's going to be apparent and obvious to everybody. Uh, and you're not going to be able to accomplish and conquer uh, those who you want to accomplish or conquer. Uh, you're not going to be able to do the things that you want to do if you're foolish. So wisdom has tremendous value, and Solomon knew that, and that's why he asked God for wisdom. But back in our text in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon goes on to tell us that there's limitations to wisdom. To, to wisdom. Says the wise person has verse fourteen. The, the wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. There's this image of being in the light versus being in darkness. You can just imagine a life that's lived where you can see and and function and do all kinds of things because you can see versus a life that's spent in darkness where you can't see and you can't operate and you can't do the things that you need to do. That's what he says here. So wisdom is great in that sense, but he says. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. And I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. 
how the wise dies just like the fool. So you see, the conclusion is wisdom is not everything. That having wisdom does not stop the day of death from coming. The same event happens to them all. It's pointing to the day of death, which you see there at the end, in, at the end of verse 16. That's what he's talking about. The same event happens to the fool that happens to the wise. You go to a graveyard, and it doesn't matter who is wise or foolish. They all ended up in the graveyard. It doesn't matter who's foolish or wise. If the Lord does not return in our lifetime, all of us will be joined to the fool if we're wise in the graveyard. And there will be no lasting memory of us, he says, to 200 years from now. I mean, Solomon has a lasting memory because God used him in this book is here, but what about all those who were wise 200 years ago? All those who lived wise lives, you know, how many of them do we remember? How many of them had a lingering uh, remembrance throughout time? How many of them were able to escape death? None. None. So he says in verse 17, I hated life. Here's Solomon looking at his life, all that he's done, all the accomplishments he's had, all that he's worked for and, 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 and been able to do because of the wisdom and the power and the riches that were given to him. And he comes to this realization, at the end of the day, it's going to be nothing. It's going to be gone. I'm, I'm going to be buried next to the poor fool who had none of this stuff. And so... He's upset. I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all of, for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all my toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. You see, something that's just angry about what's going on. I don't know if he looks at his children and he sees they're foolish because they've been spoiled and brought up in a, in a place where everything's been given to them. And he's like, I'm leaving these people in charge of all the things that I've worked for. And he says, there's no way that they're going to handle this right and do the things that they should do with this. And all of this work and all that he's done is going to be for what? For someone else to come in and destroy? It's like a sandcastle. Put all that effort into it, and what happens? The waves come, and it just gets wiped away, and there's no memory of it. It's all gone. He says, what's the point? Sometimes, after we work so hard, we lose what we work for. I like Ecclesiastes 8.8. 8. He says, no man has power to retain the spirit, or power over the day of death. There's this picture of I could do all this work and I could have all of this accomplishments and I could just be ready to enjoy all of these things that I've done and I don't have any power to live another day to enjoy it. 
as soon as I've done all this and accomplished all this and I've got all this stuff and everything's just like I like it, I could die the next day and not even get to enjoy it. And it would be given to somebody else who didn't work for it, who doesn't appreciate it, who will let it all go into the ground. And so he's mad. He's sad. Why have I done all this? You see, he's just, he's questioning. What's the point? Why am I here? Verse 22. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. Notice he returns to the question he's had throughout this book. What do we have to gain? Is there anything that's going to last? Is there any gain that, that's worth all of the effort and the time that we put into it? As something that is, is, is concrete that I can grab and hold on to that's not, like he said earlier, striving after the wind. He says no. All his days are just full of sorrow, and his work, he says, is a vexation. Vexation is a great word. I love the sound of it, right? It's just a, it's a great word. But vexation essentially means frustration. Earlier in the book, he said that uh, wisdom, in, in chapter 1, verse 18, in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. You know, if, if Solomon wasn't wise, he could just have kept working and working and working and building and, and enjoying all those things. And he wouldn't have had the wisdom to think about what's going to happen after and how he's going to be giving that to somebody else. But in his wisdom, he comes to that thought and that understanding and determination. I've got to get this to a fool and they're going to destroy it. So wisdom brings vexation and, and that's true for all of us as we understand the world more and grow older we become vexed we become frustrated the more we know the the way things should be and there's a gap between the way things should be and the way things are the more that we know that and we understand that the more helpless we feel and the more frustrated we feel and that's solomon's situation and that is the situation of the wise. Unfortunately, the wise understand the way things should be, and they have very little power to make things be that way. I'd like to just run through a few passages uh, that, that bring that out throughout the book. Now, like I said, we're not going to be working our way chronologically throughout the whole book. I'm going to try to bring in parts of it so that we can go more topically through the book. But Ecclesiastes 7, 7 says, Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. You see how a wise person sees all the oppression that's going on, and they know that's not the best for the kingdom. That's not going to result in the best for the oppressor, and that's not going to result in the best for, the best for those who are oppressed. And yet there's nothing they can do about it. So they're driven to madness, it says. And a bribe is corrupting the heart. They see all of that, and they're just frustrated. Verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 11, he says, Again, I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happens to them all. Notice he points out 
doesn't matter how wise you are, time and chance is going to happen. Life's going to happen. Things outside of your control are going to happen. And you're just going to be left there like, what is this? I've been wise. I, I should have a good life. Everything should go well. And he says, Look, bread's not going to go to the wise. So you, you're going to be hungry, even though you're wise. And that's really sad. Chapter 9, verse 15. There was found uh, in it a poor wise man. And this is a city who is, uh, is under attack. There was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. See, this poor man who is wise and makes a wonderful statement about what we should do to avoid this struggle, and nobody listens to him. That's the way life is sometimes. Sometimes the wise are ignored. And so wisdom is not the solution to everything. It does not solve every problem. It does not bring you to a point of happiness and contentment that will last you forever. It's a great thing to have. It's extremely valuable, but it is not everything. And this is what Solomon has learned. Wisdom is not the be-all, end-all. It's not everything. He thought it might be, and that's why he asked for it. He didn't ask for riches or power. He asked for wisdom because he thought that would be everything. And what he found is, wisdom is great. It provides you protection, strength, power, beauty, favor. It gives you a wonderful chance at living a really good life. But, wisdom does not and cannot fix what is broken and crooked in the world that we live in. It can't fix it. Because God has made it this way. And there's no amount of wisdom that we have that's going to turn the world right side up. It's upside down. It's wrong. And there's no fixing it that we can do. I, lo I love chapter 7, verse 16 through 18. This is one of those texts that I had to sit down and think about for a while to understand it in its context. But it really fits in well with what we're talking about. It really, understanding all that we've understood, I think this is a much easier text to understand as we study it together. So, Right now, I want us to go to there and, and talk about it. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 16 through 18. Solomon says, Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Notice some very odd words coming out of the mouth of Solomon. Don't be overly righteous. Like, come on. We, that's our goal is to be as righteous as Jesus. Like, we want to be as righteous as we can possibly be. Do not make yourself too wise. Like, we want to be wise. But notice, with much wisdom comes vexation. And with much righteousness, in some cases, comes great pride and arrogance and it becomes evil, and you destroy yourself through the pursuit of those things. That's the Pharisees and Sadducees in the New Testament. So he says, don't, don't, don't think that those things are going to be the end of everything, and that's, that's going to give you everything you need in life, that you become the wisest man in the world, and now you've made it, and everything's good. No, you're at the top of the mountain, and the other side of the mountain's all you're going to see. Whenever you get there, it's not going to get any better. Wisdom 
will not fix what's broken in the world we live in. It's extremely valuable and good, but it reveals that there's a gap between what is and what should be, and we cannot provide the fill for that gap. We don't have a solution. God broke the world because of our sin. He made it to where it's not the way we want it to be so that we would stop thinking it's up to us and that we can do all these things ourselves and we would start thinking we need God. And that is ultimately what we come into the New Testament and we find that God is going to provide that solution, the gap between what is and what should be is going to be filled by God, not by us in all of our searching, in all of our wisdom. We will never be able to do it. But God has done what we cannot do. And I'd like to read a couple of texts for you along those lines. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Paul has been talking to the Corinthians and trying to explain to them that he didn't come to them trying to promote his wisdom and show them how wise he is, as though wisdom is the thing that's going to solve all their problems. Because in Greece, that's what they thought. They loved wisdom. They pursued wisdom, philosophy, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but Paul comes in saying, I didn't bring any of that stuff to you. And listen to what he says in verse 26. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. That's very flattering, isn't it? Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, and listen to this, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see this picture of Jesus is the solution in this sex. First of all, he says, I didn't come to you professing to be the wise person, and you weren't the wisest people that I spoke to. In fact, you, you in some cases were, were seen as the weak and worthless and the powerless and, and the foolish. But my message was to you the wisdom from God, and to those who were wise, it was complete foolishness. They didn't want anything to do with it. Man's wisdom didn't get them to the solution that they needed. But Jesus did. Jesus became to us the wisdom from God. There is a wisdom that will solve all of our problems. And it's not a wisdom we can come up with, but it's a wisdom that God has revealed to us in the life of Jesus. And not only is he the wisdom of God, but he's also righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He, if we will believe in him and the things that he has professed to us, the things that he's revealed to us about who God is and, and all his infinite wisdom, he is able to provide us with what Solomon was looking for. I've said that 
every lesson up until this point, and I'll keep saying it, because that's the point. Ecclesiastes, Solomon is searching. In the New Testament, God is showing us we can find what Solomon was looking for. And the answer is, not our wisdom, but God's wisdom. And that's what we need to be seeking after. So to apply this text to ourselves, to think about Solomon seeking after wisdom, of course, we too need to seek after wisdom. There's benefits to wisdom. And, and it's a wonderful thing to be wise and to have protection and to have strength and to have wonderful relationships with other people because uh, they see that we are not foolish and they want the wisdom that we have. And we learn that wisdom comes from God. God gave Solomon his wisdom. And so we can find wisdom as we open up God's word and study it for ourselves and meditate on it and on the life that we live. That will lead us to some level of wisdom. But we, we learn in this text, and we need to make sure this is firmly fixed in our mind, that learning wisdom from this life and learning wisdom from men will always be limited. It will not give us, ultimately, what we're looking for. It will not give us the satisfaction that we're desiring. In fact, what it will give us is a lot of vexation and frustration about how messed up life really is. So those things are good and, and they're useful to help us live a good life and be successful. But we have to be careful because they'll make us just depressed and sorrowful. It's only whenever we look at Jesus and what Jesus offers us do all the injustices and all the brokenness of this world find their solution and we all receive hope. He provides this wisdom that we're looking for so that we can experience eternal life and an eternal treasure with eternal fulfillment. That's the only way. And so that's what we're seeking. As followers of Christ, we're trying to learn from the Master His wisdom and His ways so that we can be more like him and enjoy the fullest life here on earth as we look forward to the fullest life possible, imaginable in heaven when this life is over. And so we'll ask in closing, are you willing to submit to the wisdom of God? Or will you continue to trust in your own wisdom with pride and arrogance? It may seem foolish to you to think that Jesus could be God come down to earth in human form to think that he would patiently endure with sinful humans and actually desire to save them and to make them a part of a special group of people that he wants to live with for eternity. That might sound completely foolish to you, but that's the gospel that we believe. We believe Jesus not only wanted that, but he wanted it so bad he was willing to go to the cross and suffer and die there so that we might be a part of that group. If you're here and you believe that and you want to follow after Jesus and receive all the blessings that he offers to you, you can. It's available to all of us. Just don't be too wise for your own britches. <laughs> don't, don't, don't think in terms of human logic and man's wisdom and just accept and, and submit to the truth that God offers us in the scriptures. And all of those blessings can be yours.
Will you please let us help you? Please come as we stand and as we sing.